all the drives home, all of the phone calls, and all of those missed moments. And this didn't happen only in the car. It occurred to me that showing up for her, picking her up from school, was really different than being there for her. And my phone seemed to be like this body part, like it was always on. I could always tell that it was going even when it wasn't on. Like I just knew if I flipped it over, there would be something there. And it had my constant attention. And I know I focused on getting it all done instead of really getting anything done very well. That was blogger and author Courtney Carver sharing a moment that changed her life and led to her discovery of the power of simplicity. And this is Best Breakouts from the Conferences for Women, an audio series that offers timeless insights from our archives to help you advance at work and in life. In this session, Conscious Minimalism, Success with Less, Courtney will share her real-life experiences to illustrate how the power of simplicity can improve your professional and personal life, relieve stress, remove excess, and help you create more with less. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm going to start by asking you to do something. This was listed as a workshop, and so I want you to do some workshopping things. But I promise, because I'm an introvert, I'm not going to ask you to introduce yourselves to each other or look into each other's eyes or do anything like that. But what I would like you to do is if you have a paper and pen, something to write with, or phone, tablet, where you could make a couple of lists, I'm going to ask you to make two lists. I'm not going to ask you to read them out loud to... Share them with me or anyone else. You may never even revisit them. So it doesn't really matter how they're formatted. There's no right way to do this. The first list that I want you to make is a list of what matters to you. And this list might be comprised of things like people, places, projects, goals, hopes, dreams, anything that really matters to you jot down on this list. And you might have one thing, you might have 10 things. If you had more time, maybe you would have 100 things. But for right now, let's just focus on the things that come to your mind. And you can work on the list later as well. And once you have that list created, I want you to make a second list. And this list is going to be things that you spend your time on. So if you just reflect over the last two weeks... And jot down all the things that you do on an average day from the time you wake up in the morning, going to work, what you spend your time on at work, what you do on your lunch break, if you take a lunch break in the afternoon, the evening, just your regular stuff, ordinary day kind of stuff. And if you think of things as I'm chatting, feel free to jot them down. We'll circle back to your lists in a little bit. So first, I want to start by sharing a story with you about a pretty typical morning for me. And this morning actually happened in the summertime, which I'm sure we can all go there in our minds, knowing how cold it is here in Boston. When I came off the plane and just walking from plane like through the inside, but there was little slivers of outside coming in, ah, I was chilled. But this morning was a summer morning. And I woke up... And I could tell that light was 
flooding my room before I even opened my eyes. And I smiled and stretched and I thought about how I was going to spend my day. There was nothing on my to-do list, nothing on my calendar. And I wondered how I would spend this time I had created for myself. I woke up slowly, got up, made myself a cup of tea. And then I sat quietly and I wrote down three or four pages of things that had been on my mind. And these weren't things that I was going to share with anyone, that I would publish, just stuff on my mind that had built up overnight. And I wanted to bring it from here to paper. And I wrote it all down, breaking up the scar tissue in my brain so that I could make room for new creative ideas. From there, I sat in meditation for a little while. And then I decided to go for a walk. And this wasn't a calorie-burning walk. It wasn't a step-counting walk. But instead, it's what I like to call a joy walk, where I just walked around and noticed things and looked around and said hi to people as I passed them. And once, as I was walking, I stopped and felt the sunlight on my face. And I closed my eyes and looked up at the sun, and I said a silent prayer. I said, energize me, love me, fill me with light and grace. What do you think? Sounds like a decent morning, right? All right. So for all of those of you who nodded or laughed in agreement, thank you. You're much nicer people than I was. Had you told me that you spent your mornings praying in the sunshine when I was in the throes of my busy addiction... I would have shook my head, rolled my eyes, and thought, lady, get a job. (laughs) I would have acted annoyed, but what I was really feeling would have been jealousy. I would have been jealous because I never had time for these slow mornings that I craved. Instead, I would wake up, coffee up, rush my daughter to school, rush to work, rush to pick my daughter up, rush home, hope that I could think of what to put on the table for dinner, go to bed, and then do it all over again. I complained about my busyness, and I got completely high from it at the same time. I was a busy addict. Any busy addicts in the room? Okay. Well, just so everyone can relax, I know we started a little bit late today, but you're going to be able to leave in plenty of time for whatever is next. So you don't have to be planning your escape early. I'm going to wrap up on time and we'll have time for questions. So yes, I was a busy addict. But I started rethinking my busy addiction one afternoon when I was driving my daughter home from school. We were in the car. I was barreling down the freeway. And she was telling me about her day. This is not easy for me to admit, but she was used to talking to me while I was doing other things. And I was doing other things. I was driving and checking my voicemail and returning calls and wondering why I couldn't see my email and the road at the same time. And she kept telling me about her day and I would say, yeah, that's good. That's nice. Uh Uh-huh. Trying to show her that I was there for her, even though I really wasn't. And I remember we got home, pulled into the driveway, and I watched her get out of the car and walk to the door with her backpack on. And it struck me that I couldn't remember a word she had said to me on the way home. And I couldn't believe that 
not only had I missed this precious opportunity to connect with my child, but I'd risked our lives driving as distracted as I was. And I don't know why it got me on that particular day, but tears pooled in my eyes as I thought about all the drives home, all of the phone calls, and all of those missed moments. And this didn't happen only in the car. It occurred to me that showing up for her, picking her up from school was really different than being there for her. And my phone seemed to be like this body part, like it was always on. I could always tell that it was going even when it wasn't on. Like I just knew if I flipped it over, there would be something there. And it had my constant attention. Brene Brown, author and vulnerability researcher, said in a Washington Post interview that the expectations of what we can get done and how well we can do them are beyond human scale. Beyond human scale. And I know I focused on getting it all done instead of really getting anything done very well. So the day after I chose my phone in favor of my daughter and risked our lives driving home, I decided that I was going to start showing up for her. And I banned my cell phone from the car. Now, this was about a decade ago. So I know today it sounds like, of course, you're not going to talk on your phone in the car. Although I have to say that anytime I'm on the freeway and I look over, somebody's on their phone in their car. So it's still happening. But that day, I decided no more with the phone on the car. I worked in sales. So it was my job to be always on and connected. But guess what happened once I gave that up? Nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. My boss didn't notice. My clients didn't notice. And my sales went up. And I got all that time back in the moments that I was in my car. It was time just for me or just for my daughter, which was pretty great. So most importantly, she started coming first, not just in my thoughts, but in my actions as well. So I share that story with you because I thought that you might be busy too. And that like me, maybe sometimes you feel like you're missing bits of your life with everything else that's going on. Simplifying my life brought me back to health. It brought me to work I truly care about. And more importantly, it's allowed me to be present, to really show up, to pay attention, and to witness my life. So I'm going to tell you about the things that I did. And these are things that you can do too. But first, I want to tell you why I did it. Because why is always more important than how. We can always figure out how. The person next to you knows how. Google knows how. We can always get the how, but the why is what gives change. It's sticking power. And you might find your why on your what matters list today. Something to think about. So up until 2006, I always thought I would be overextended in every area of my life. I never had enough time, money, energy, attention. And it seemed to me that everyone around me was suffering from this deficiency as well. And I thought maybe this is what being an adult is all about. Like we just never have enough. But I was too busy to figure it out. Too busy and not motivated enough. Simplicity author Elaine St. James says that one of the reasons we complicate our lives is so we won't have to listen to our inner voice telling us how to make our lives work better. And that's exactly what I was doing, just piling it on. 
That all stopped for me, or I should say it started to stop for me in 2006. I was training for the MS-150, which is a cycling event in Utah, to raise money for multiple sclerosis research. My boss at the time had MS, still has MS, but he's not my boss anymore. And I was riding for him. I wanted to help. And I remember about halfway through this training, I started not feeling well. I had extreme fatigue, vertigo, tingling in my hands, numbness in my face. And I remember going to my doctor, my regular doctor, who assured me it was an ear infection that was causing the vertigo. And I believed him because, of course, yeah, I'll take an ear infection. Sounds good. But a month later, I still couldn't get on my bike, let alone walk a straight line. I was hold on to the walls, vertigo. And after another month of neurological testing and a spinal tap and missing the MS ride, I was diagnosed with MS myself. And this was my enough is enough moment. This was my things have to change moment. I remember being with my neurologist and him saying, after reviewing my MRIs, that I was standing on the edge of a cliff and that if I didn't change my ways, I was going to fall off. And whether it was his words or me just finally realizing that things had to change, they did. I did a lot of research and learned that stress was a big problem for people with MS and autoimmune conditions and all suffering and conditions. And so I decided to eliminate stress from my life. No biggie, right? (laughs) I didn't know how, guys. I did not know how I would do it. But I knew why. I knew that I wanted to be able to wake up in the morning and get out of bed and walk across my room. I knew that I wanted to be able to see clearly, to think clearly, to participate in my life, in my family's life. And I began to eliminate stress. I started with my diet, eliminating stressful foods. I then looked at the next most stressful thing in my life, which was debt. I was in tens of thousands of dollars of debt, hundreds of thousands if you count our house. And over the period of about three years, paid off that debt. And at the same time, because we weren't spending extra on stuff, because we were saving that money to pay down our debt, I started to notice how stressful my stuff was, which I had never considered before. Most of the things in my home were a reminder of my debt and discontent. And I wanted it gone. I wanted all the stress gone. I wanted everything that was removing me from my life removed. So together with my family, we eliminated close to 90% of our belongings, downsized from 2,000 square feet with a garage and an attic and a storage shed and a big yard into 750 square feet with no storage. That was fun at first. (laughs) And just continually got rid of the stuff that didn't matter so that I could focus on what does. So I want to share some of the things that I did very specifically so that you can do them too. But some of these things are big ideas. And I want to help you close the gap between inspiration and action. I think on most days, we're over-inspired. Right? Look at your Facebook feed with all the inspirational quotes. I'm sorry if any of them are from me, but 
Like inspiration, overload, business ideas, a great conference like this, we're bursting with inspiration. And then we leave and all we want to do is curl up in bed and not think for a while, right? So I want to help you close the gap because the secret is if you can take even the smallest step, you can start the momentum and start the ball rolling. So if you're ready, we'll dig into the specifics. So number one, I recommend that you create a morning routine to simplify your life. So as I mentioned, my morning routine used to be like snooze button, coffee, drive places. But now my morning routine is much different. At first, it was much shorter than it is now. In the beginning, when I was working for someone else, when I was driving my daughter to school, I only had a small amount of time every morning. And I actually hit the snooze button a few times. And I think they were each about five minutes long. So my very first day of my morning routine, I traded one of my snooze button pushes for five minutes of yoga. I know that doesn't sound like a lot of yoga, but I had taken a class shortly after my diagnosis. And I wanted to capture that feeling, that peace, that ease that I felt after a yoga class. And so I decided to practice on my own. Five minutes, that's all I had time for. And I stayed with that five minutes for a week. The next week, I traded another snooze button. So now I'm up to 10 minutes and I added five minutes of meditation. This is all very slow and painful for me. Like I want to go all in and just fix everything right away. But I know that has never worked for me before. So I'm going to do it slow and steady this time. So five minutes for yoga, five minutes for meditation. And then the following week, I added five minutes of writing. And then for the next several weeks, I added one minute to each activity until I built up to a 30-minute morning routine. Today, I sometimes practice two or three hours of morning routine. And the way that it has simplified my life is for starters, I wake up in the morning and I serve myself first. This helps me to be less reactive throughout the day. And when things get chaotic and crazy, as they always do, I can go back to this place and this space that I've created for myself every morning. So if you don't have a half hour in the morning or five minutes even for a morning routine, think about how much time you could spare. Maybe it's two minutes or three minutes. But what I would suggest if you feel motivated as kind of a micro action to close the gap is to jot down one activity that you'd like to wake up to every morning that you'd like to do first thing. Maybe it's having a cup of tea, reading a book, taking a bath, whatever. Just write it down and consider that for tomorrow morning. Why not start tomorrow morning? Number two, make under your closet. You guys lock the doors because this is when people usually run out. (laughs) So make under your closet. In 2010, I started a fashion challenge, a minimalist fashion challenge called Project 333. Has anyone ever heard of it? Couple people. Okay, that's why no one's rushing the door right now. The challenge is that for three months, you dress with 33 items or less, including clothing, jewelry, accessories, and shoes. Okay, everyone's still sitting. This is a good sign. So you create this wardrobe, 33 items, and everything else you hide. 
So you hide it, get it out of sight. Because if you're anything like I was, you spend far too much time deciding what to wear. What should I wear today? Knowing full well, you're going to wear the same thing that you wore last Monday. Like you're going to wear your favorite things. However, you still have to face all of your things every morning. And that's exhausting because you're not just looking at your clothes. You're looking at your bad purchase decisions. You're looking at clothes that don't fit you. You're looking at clothes that perhaps make you sad that other people gave you and you feel guilty because you won't wear them ever. They don't need to be in there. But it's really scary to just let it all go. So simply get it out of sight for three months. See how you feel. See if it changes things. If 33 items sounds too horrific for you, pick your own number. There's no magic in the number 33, but it's a place to start. So the micro action for this might be to make a list of 10 items that you can think of that are in your closet right now that you haven't worn, will never wear, don't care about, yet they still hang in your closet. Maybe some even have tags on them. Is that possible? Anyone with tags on your... Yeah. I know it was a great deal, but still, like, (laughs) forget it. I think it's Peter Walsh. Someone said, if the best thing about something is its price, you don't need it or it's not worth having. Ooh, that was good, right? (laughs) I'm going to put that on an inspirational quote and share it with you on Facebook tomorrow. All right. Number three, declutter. So the closet challenge is an exercise in decluttering, but I recommend decluttering everything from your home to your work, to your mind, to your heart. Get rid of everything that doesn't matter so you can focus on what does. It's hard to let go of stuff. Okay, I get that. But holding on is so much harder. We forget that we have to hold on every single day. We have to hold on with our money, with our time, with our attention, with our emotion. But we only have to let go of that item one time. And I can promise you, as someone who has gotten rid of thousands of things, I can barely remember what they were, let alone do I miss them. I don't. I don't miss them at all. I haven't had to rebuy anything. I haven't mourned any items. I really can't remember what they were. They mattered that little in my life. So a micro action for decluttering might be to put a box by your front door or your garage door or whatever door you go in and out of every day and put stuff in it every day as you walk by it. Stuff that doesn't matter to you. Stuff that you barely notice. It's amazing how little we notice the crushing weight of our stuff. When we lived in our larger house before we downsized, we had done a lot of decluttering. But there were three vases that sat in our bedroom. It was the only decor left. And they were on a dresser. And I remember one day thinking, all I ever do is dust these things or knock them over. And so I put them in a box and put the box in the garage. And about three months later, I brought the box in and I set the vases up again. And my husband came home from work and I said, I'm going to donate these vases. And he said, no, I love those. (laughs) I love those. And I said, they have not been here for three months. (laughs) And he said, okay, you can let them go. (laughs) 
But this has become the gift that keeps on giving because now whenever I travel, when I get home, he welcomes me home and he says, I just want to let you know I've hidden something. (laughs) And if you can guess what it is, we can keep it. (laughs) I've never guessed, never missed whatever it is. And I think that's our method of keeping things clutter-free in our house. All right. So box by the door is definitely the micro strategy for that. You could also look at The Minimalism Game, which is by theminimalists.com, Josh and Ryan. Every day for a month, day one, you get rid of one thing, day two, two things, day three, three things, and so on and so on and so on. It's really fun to do with other people. See how you feel about each other at day 20. You're like, uh. All right. Number four, unplug. Unplug. Our phones get so much of our attention, our digital devices. They just, like, we just know that something magical is going to be there anytime we turn it on. But if you can go for 24 hours a week, like a full day without your phone, here's what happens. The first three hours, you can hear it ringing even though it's off. Like, you know, something just vibrated or something, you got a text, you just feel like something's going on. But by the end of the 24 hours, you don't want to turn it back on because you're noticing things that you haven't noticed in a while. So I highly recommend if you can schedule a digital sabbatical for 24 hours a week, maybe you start with an hour a day or draw some boundaries on time. Like I won't check my email until I practiced my morning routine or take email and Facebook off your phone completely. I mean, I know that sounds like a big deal, but it's literally like takes one or three seconds if you have someone that knows how to do that for you. (laughs) And maybe I'm wrong, but I know for me, email on my phone, I was just checking it. I wasn't actually responding to it. So I would look at it and then I would internalize it and then I'd think about it all day and then I'd get home and I'd open my computer and then I'd email back. Why was I even thinking about it all day long? And Facebook, forget it. Like, has anything amazing ever happened to you doing this on the Facebook on your phone? Nothing. It can wait. Like, you could look at it one time a day. It probably will be more satisfying than every five minutes when nothing new is happening, right? So just a thought. Last but certainly not least, to simplify, I recommend saying no. A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. And you don't have to say no because you have something else going on. I don't say no because I am so busy. I say no because I don't want to be so busy. Protect your time. People will try to push this boundary. I'm sure you have an email sitting in your inbox right now that says, I know you're so busy, but will you do all my things? And the answer is no. We have to protect our time. And not only that, but we have to build margin into our calendars. I never understood why I was always running late until I took a good look at my calendar. I would have an appointment from 1 to 1.30 and another from 1.30 to 2. Like, what do I, time travel from in the middle? You have to have margin. So don't be afraid to say no. So in terms of saying no, for your micro action, I would start by looking at your to-do list and crossing something off. Not to rewrite it on tomorrow's to-do list. But just to get rid of it, because if there's something that you have been putting on every day for the past week or two or longer, like how many people have a thing on their to-do list that's been on there longer than a week? Not going to (laughs) happen. Not going to happen. Just cross it off. If it's important, it'll come back. 
It'll come back and live on your list, but let it go for a little while and see how that feels. So circling back to your lists that you made earlier, your what matters list, I like to think of that as the life you want. And your how I spend my time list is the life you have. Look for ways that these lists support each other and see where they don't. See where they're completely not aligned and how you might be able to shift that. Like I said, this what matters list could be your why for trying Project 333 or for eating the same meals all week long or removing some of the decisions from your life. If what I've said feels like it's too much, like you don't have time to simplify your life because it's so overwhelming and so busy, I recommend doing just enough. So declutter just enough to create a little bit of space. Reduce your obligations just enough so you have a little bit of that margin and time to think about really how you want to spend your time. And just keep doing this just enough, these small steps, just enough, just enough, so that you have some time and space in your day to make a list, remind yourself what matters to you, and act accordingly. So thank you very much. Why don't we go ahead and start with the mic? Yes. Hi, my name's Megan. Love to simplify. But my husband isn't as much of a fan as decluttering. Any tips on... I mean, I'd leave him, but no, I'm getting I'm getting So you have fun with it. So you do stuff like the hiding things. Mm -hmm. And that's become really something fun for us, where we remind each other that this is not anything that serious. We're talking about a little bit of clutter. Also, let him hear it from someone else. If he can read a book, watch the minimalism documentary. If the seed is planted from someone else besides you, it's going to be much more appealing. And then when he tries to get you on board, you'll already be there. That's what I recommend, really. Watch that documentary. It's on Netflix. Okay. And I think a lot of people find, especially in close relationships... I mean, specifically, it's the emotional stuff, the things that someone gave him or something passed down. Well, so less doesn't mean nothing. Yeah. I mean, so maybe it doesn't all have to go. But if there's a good reason to let go of it, you could do things like take a picture of it. You could do something that my friend Sarah Von Bargen calls a victory lap, where you take this sentimental item on its last Mm. hurrah. (laughs) So if it's a dress that someone gave you that not your style, maybe you wear it to a party or a fondue pot, you cook its last meal and have a party around it. So think about how you can victory lap the sentimental items. Thank you. Sure. Yes. That's a really funny idea. I love how you've simplified this stuff in your life. And I'm wondering how you've messaged that to your friends and family and associates Mm. to help them adopt your strategies, particularly this time of year, not only for gifts that they're really feeling like they want to give to you and your husband, but also for your child. So just some tips on what to tell people. So I started a blog to let them know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. going to do that. No, Any other I don't recommend it, actually. <laughs> but I think they're... I mean, the holidays are definitely the most challenging because you're challenging tradition with your families, especially for gifts for you and your children, especially if you're talking about parents or grandparents. 
which I know we would never talk about them, but if you are, yes, it's really hard. So I start with a gentle discussion about it, let them know and let them know way in advance because it's not going to stick the first time, most likely. So maybe in July, I'm having that conversation. And then as we get closer, I'm going to recommend that we exchange experiences, our time. Maybe we get together and do something as a family that we only get one gift per person in the family, like even with the extended family. And then I'm having micro conversations with other family members who I know will be more receptive, like my sister, my brother-in-law, friends, like guys, why are we getting stuff each other things? Like we're not really enjoying it. We could gift each other so much more with a lunch or a hike. The best present that I exchanged last year was actually with my sister-in-law. We agreed to have a half hour conversation every month. So even as close as we are, we don't talk that much. And so we would just end up texting once in a while. But we committed to a half hour every month. And last month, she said, this has been my best gift. And I said, well, good. That's what you're getting again this year. (laughs) So yeah, you just have to keep going. But on the other side of that, you have to remember that it's not your obligation to hold on to those gifts. You accept them with the intention they were given but then it's up to you to do with them what you please, which might be bringing them right to the donation center. Yeah. I just like to say I've spent almost 10 years as an organizing coach. And so if you are struggling, especially with a family member or yourself to get started, hire a professional. It's called the National Association of Professional Organizers. And when you bring someone else into your home that isn't embedded in your stuff, we can look at it, a professional looks at it in a different way, especially if you've got a dynamic going on with a family member who's having a harder time to get rid of things, you can be the bad guy, right? So you change that dynamic. It's not a personal relationship, so they can change that. So when you need help, ask for help. And so organizers can do that for you. And it's there everywhere. So just go to napo.net and you can find one. The two things you should have in your home are the things you need and the things that you love and everything else should go. Thank you. You're amazing. And I can't wait to get your book. So thank you. Thanks. Hi there. I'm just curious how you picked your 33 items. Very granular. How did you pick these 33 items? And did you find that you had... I know you have to get what you love and what works for you, but to have some staples that you can actually be really versatile with. How did you do that? Yeah. So the first thing I did was I dressed down my work attire about 10% and dressed up my out-of-work attire about 10% so that there could be more crossover. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, in the very beginning, I worked with what I had. It wasn't anything what my wardrobe looks like now. Now I have like animals for adults. Like everything goes with everything. (laughs) But back then it was... Everything goes with everything in my wardrobe now because I don't want to think about what I have to wear every day. But in the beginning, I thought like, what would I need? What do I have coming up for the next three months? I wanted to have a a dress that I could wear to a formal event, but also that I could wear it to work. So very simple black dress that doesn't work for everyone. I was at an event one time and someone asked me that and I showed them the dress that I used and they said that would not work for me for my formal events. And I said, what formal events are you attending? (laughs) She's like, well, for my husband, like the Grammys. And I'm like, naturally, who's your husband? (laughs) She didn't tell me. But 
So it's not a perfect solution for everyone. But one dress, I included one skirt, a couple of pairs of pants, and then mostly tops. No jewelry the first round, maybe one or two pieces because it was winter and I knew my earrings were not going to keep me warm. So I didn't include earrings. I included a hat and gloves and a scarf. So I kind of made a list of the core items that I wore all the time and then added from there. I'm writing an entire book about this. So you'll have more detail about that. But you can also, if you Google Project 333, a lot of people have great approaches to it. And then there's a ton of information on my site. But the best way to sort it out is just to do it. Like really make your list and see how it feels. And if you're halfway through and you decide it's not working, fix it. But chances are halfway through, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't start this sooner. It's pretty remarkable. It sounds really scary, but it's all the thinking about it that's scary, not the actual doing it. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. I think decluttering is great. And obviously the first step is not getting those things in your possession in the first place. But if you're going through like a personal decluttering, obviously there's a lot of resources for clothing, but I didn't know if you had good resources for other things that you might be decluttering in your life so that they don't just end up in the landfill. Yeah. Well, for starters, it's all going to end up in the landfill. (laughs) Sorry. But really, eventually, it really will all end up in the landfill. So the trick is to stop the crazy consumption. But what do we do with the stuff that we already have? You can look at like local homeless shelters, things that might be appropriate for that. Dress for success for clothes, which you mentioned clothing's not that challenging for you. There's also a list online of, I think it's like 101 places to donate all kinds of things. And it's from a woman named Francine J. So if you look up or just Google Miss Minimalist, where to donate my stuff, it she gives you tons of resources very specifically. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I really liked what you said about taking those small steps, like five minutes or three minutes at a time. My partner actually has MS. And so reducing stress is very relevant. And sometimes it's hard between thinking all or nothing. Like I'm just going to revolutionize my life and reduce, like or, or remove all the stress right now. And so I was wondering if you could say something about kind of the effect on your health that the steps you've taken have had and kind of what has that process looked like with your health? Sure. So I completely understand how you're feeling and the all or nothing thing. It's so appealing. Like I really wanted just to burn my house down. I really did. It doesn't work because that fast and furious doesn't give you time to learn what you're supposed to learn along the way. So I have found that slow and steady years long change does make a huge difference. And that in itself is less stressful. So I really had to think about that. Like if I'm reducing stress, shouldn't the changes I'm making in the process itself be low stress too? Not just for me, but for my family. Like They were already struggling with the fact that I had this diagnosis that they didn't know what would happen, but then that I'm going to change our lives as well. Mm -hmm. We had to do it slow and steady. In terms of my health, it's been 12 years since my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I have simplified my life and my work radically. I work with a neurologist. I take conventional treatment. I haven't had a relapse since 2007. And my... Thank you. My neurologist says that anytime he looks at my 
brain, which he can do, it appears that my MS is in suspended animation. And for a disease with no cure, that is pretty amazing. So I'll take that. I tried that 333 last year for the first time and I thought it was going to be awful and I dreaded it, but it was actually amazingly so much easier to get ready in the morning when you have all your favorite stuff right there. And I really need to do that again and actually start getting rid of all that stuff that I hid because I did keep it. So I didn't pay her, you guys, to say that. (laughs) My thing is I love organizing. And so I have like organized mess. Like everything I have is very organized, but I have so much stuff. And I end up saving like boxes and containers so I can keep organizing everything and have the perfect containers for everything. Like that is the hardest thing for me to get rid of is like the perfect box. And I just, I guess I need help with that, the suggestions. So I hesitate to say this with professional organizers in the room, but I really do think that if you need stuff to store your stuff, you probably have too much stuff. (laughs) So anytime, because this happens to me where I'm like, I need to drop by the container store. I'm like, no, you stop. Like, why? Where did this new stuff come from? And I get rid of it. So I would just kind of think about that. Like, maybe you don't need, well, definitely no more containers, no more container store for you for a long time. (laughs) And think about how to repurpose the ones that you have. But yeah, I know organizing, it's very appealing and it's very soothing, putting everything in its place. And then doing that again the next day and the next day. But it's also taking up a lot of time. Like, do you have tons of free time? No. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, I'd put a kibosh on the organizing for a bit and see what happens. Because if you have less stuff, there's really nothing to organize. But there's so much more to do and to enjoy and to appreciate. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks to Courtney. You just heard from Courtney Carver, blogger, creator of Project 333, and author of Soulful Simplicity. To learn more about her work, please visit www.bemorewithless.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the session helpful, and we invite you to tune in for more best breakouts from the Conferences for Women.